just agree to believe that. Uh, but we are glad that you are, are here tonight on Sunday nights for several weeks. We have been looking at the parables of Jesus. Uh, we've looked at some of the more obscure ones, ones that we may not have been familiar with. Uh, and I told you that uh, kind of beginning last week, we're going to wrap it up with some of the parables that we probably are more familiar with. We looked at the Good Samaritan last week. A uh, couple weeks, we'll, we'll pretty much wrap up with the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, but we won't just take one Sunday night on that one. We'll take a couple or more Sunday nights on the uh, parable of the prodigal son. But uh, tonight I wanted to look at what I consider to be the scariest parable. I've told you before that the scariest verses in the Bible to me are Matthew chapter 7, 21 and following where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not go to Brazil? I'm paraphrasing, but you know, did we not do all these things? And I'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Those are the scariest verses in the Bible to me. But the scariest parable in the Bible is the parable of the unmerciful servant or the unforgiving servant, you know, depending on what you, what you have. Look at, if you would, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who went, wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, and you can look at your footnote, mine says that's about a million dollars. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, if Jesus had stopped the parable there, That's a beautiful parable, isn't it? That's a beautiful story of forgiveness. It's a beautiful story. We sing that song. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. And that would be just a marvelous story of God's forgiveness to us. There's no way in the world a man could pay back a million dollars. There's no way in the world we could pay back God for what he has done for us. And yet God has forgiven our debts. But Jesus didn't end the story there. He continued on. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. My footnote says a few dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Now we'll get to, and I think you already know, I probably mentioned this before, the troubling part to me. But we're going to look at this parable a little bit and talk about uh, what Jesus was trying to get across. It's a simple enough. But the first point I wanted to make, the first thing I wanted to look at was the question that was asked and the short answer. Okay? In order to understand the parable, we have to understand what prompted the parable. Now, we didn't read the verses above that, but in the verses above that is where Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, you go to him privately. And if that doesn't work, you take one or two others with you. And if that doesn't work. And so Jesus has been talking about what happens, you know, when, when, when somebody sins against you. And so Peter asked the question, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter has a problem. Peter has a problem that is a barrier to forgiveness. Peter's problem is pride. Notice the way Peter phrased the question. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? It never occurred to Peter that the roles might be reversed. Peter never said, now, Lord, you know, how many times shall my brother forgive me when I'm in the wrong? When I'm the one that sins, when I'm the one that that hurts somebody, Peter doesn't realize that that might even be a possibility. Otherwise, he might never have asked the question. Another way that Peter reveals his pride is in answering his own question in front of Jesus. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? No, wait, don't answer. I know the answer. Seven times? Now, we've talked about this before. Seven times sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Now, not when you're dealing with your children... And not when you're dealing with your spouse. It may not sound like a lot. Those of us that are married, those of us that have children, understand that there needs to be like infinite forgiveness going on in those relationships. But now me and Chuck. Chuck does me wrong seven times. And I forgive him. You know, that kind of ought to be enough. You know what I mean? I mean, seven times, Chuck, seriously? That ought to be, that's what you get for sitting on the front row, brother. You're next, Henry. You know, seven times seems like a lot. I think, and I believe that Peter thought 
that by saying seven times he was going to receive Jesus' praise. I really kind of think that's where Peter was going with this. It's a flaw that Peter has throughout his time with Jesus. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's kind of in a daze and he wakes up and he sees Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And he says to Jesus, you want me to build a tabernacle, a shelter for all three of you guys? And the voice from heaven kind of booms down and says, this is my son, listen to him. I think Peter thought, well, Jesus will be pretty impressed that I'm willing to build three shelters for him, Elijah, and Moses. And God, the Father, comes down and says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't you even try to put Moses and Elijah on the same plateau as my son Jesus, on the same plane, the same level. And then you also remember that in the upper room, as Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet, And you could, don't you know you could cut the tension with a knife? I mean, all the emotions that were going, all the disciples were probably feeling guilty, all the disciples were, all that, you know, and Jesus, and probably not a word was being spoken. And Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And I think... Peter thought he was going to get some kind of an attaboy from Jesus. And notice, notice, Peter did not say, Lord, let me take the bucket. Let me take the towel. I'll finish the rest of the feet. No, that's not what Peter said. Peter just said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you can't have any part of me. Oh, And then the night, that same night, a little later, they're in the garden. Jesus is praying. And Judas and the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And Peter draws the sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. And I just think in the back of his mind, Peter is thinking, Jesus is going to thank me for this. And what does Jesus do? He picks the ear up and puts it back on the guy. Whoa. Well, here again, I kind of think that Peter was expecting Jesus to say seven times. Peter, really? That's a lot. That's pretty good. I'm impressed. But what Peter has yet to learn is that forgiveness is an act of humility, not superiority. You see, Peter kind of still had this idea that forgiveness was in, sense, was in a sense being superior. I'm superior to you, therefore I will forgive you. And what Jesus is trying to say here is, no, it's not a matter of superiority, it's a matter of humility. Learning how to forgive. So Jesus' answer must have absolutely blown Peter's mind. Now whether... It's 77 as in the NIV or 70 times 7 I think is in the King James. You know, the Greek is a little weird. They're not sure, you know, whether it's multiplying or whatever. Does it really matter? I mean, if we're going to get so caught up in whether or not Jesus meant 77 or 7 times 70, we have missed the whole point of the parable. 
Because you get the idea. I can carry around a little notebook. And I'm going to have Chuck's name at the top. One. That's one, Chuck. Six more and you're done. But 77 or 490? There's no way I can keep a record of all of that. There's no way I'll be able to to keep a record of, of how many times I've forgiven somebody. And Jesus basically says, that's the point, Peter. That's the point. You shouldn't be keeping any records. And in fact, when Paul described love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one of the descriptions he used is love keeps no record of wrongs. It's almost as if you got your little book here, you know, and you write one. That's one. And next time I go back and I flip my book and. Well, it's gone. It's gone. We keep no record of wrong. It's not seven. It's not 77. It's not 490. It's not 7000. It's not seven million. That's what Jesus says. How am I supposed to keep up with that? We're not now. As I mentioned, Peter seems to have set a reasonable limit. Seven seems reasonable. But Jesus' point is that forgiveness is in and of itself unreasonable. That's the point I think Jesus is trying to make. Forgiveness is unreasonable. How do I know this? Because God's forgiveness of us is unreasonable. God's forgiveness of us is unreasonable. There is no reason in the world for God to give his only son for us. There's no reason in the world for God to forgive us our sin. But he does. Because he's unreasonable. And basically what this parable is saying is here is that we need to be unreasonable in a positive sense, you understand. We need to be unreasonable with each other. Forgiveness of a God-like nature has no limits. It is unnatural. It is unreasonable, humanly speaking. And that brings us to our second point, which is the principle of being wronged. That is... This is where we get into the long answer. The short answer was 70 times 7, right? But then Jesus tells the parable and we get the long answer. We need to understand the king had a right to collect the debt. The servant owed him the money. Either he had embezzled it or he had misused it. Or he had borrowed it, although I can't imagine. Anyway, whatever, whatever the case was. The king was owed that money. He had a legal, moral, and humanly speaking, whatever ob- uh, obligation. He had a right to have that money paid back. By definition... Forgiveness implies that we have been wronged. That somebody owes us. That someone has hurt us. That someone has offended us. That someone has cheated us or lied to us or disappointed. And we have a right 
to feel or act the way we do, humanly speaking. That's kind of the story when we get to, you know, the story of the prodigal son. You know, we kind of, I say we, me, I kind of understand the older brother's resentment of the younger brother. The one who had stayed around, the one who had been faithful to his father, the one who had never been a problem, the one who had never done this, the one who had never done that. And now this son who took the money and went off and did all this, he comes back and he gets a robe and a ring and a fatted cow. Just doesn't seem right. Just doesn't seem fair. I get that. When we forgive, it means that we have been wrong. It means that somebody has done something against us. If somebody hadn't done something against us, then we really have nothing to forgive. It's not that big a deal. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you bump into me in the hallway and I drop my Bible. Seriously? Is forgiveness really needed? I mean, I, you know... I don't think so. You'd probably say, oh, I'm sorry. And I say, oh, that's all right. But really, forgiveness? You didn't really wrong me. It was an accident. You bumped into me. Now you spread some dreadful rumor about me. Maliciously. You hurt me in some way. Now all of a sudden, I've been wrong. Now, all of a sudden, forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is required. There's a song. I don't remember anything about it, really. But it's a country song. And I don't remember everything about it. But I I just remember this. The husband did something. Go figure. And uh, the wife says something like, uh, uh, I'll get over it. But I just want to be angry now. I just want to be mad now. Or I just, you know, something like that. I can't remember, you know, what what the words go. Well, that's really not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what he's saying. There was something else that I've never really realized before. And that is that the king paid a price for forgiving. It cost the king to forgive. Now, I don't know about you. Now, we all think that somebody, we all think those who have more money than us can handle losing a little of it, right? I can't handle losing any of my money, but you know, if you got more money than me, you can handle losing a little bit. So we may look at the king and we may say, well, you know, to the king, losing a million dollars isn't that big a deal. I kind of got to tell you, I don't care how much money you got. You lose a million dollars, you lost a million dollars. And he was willing to forgive that debt. Not put him on notice. Not put him on installment payments. Forgive the debt outright. And it cost him that money that was owed to him. Yet the king forgave that. Sometimes we may sin so egregious, someone may sin so egregiously against us that they could never make it right. Somebody could do something to us that there is no way in the world. It hurt us so bad. It was so awful. There's no way to take it back. There's no way that they can make it right. Yeah, 
That may be. But we still forgive. There was no way in the world that that servant could ever pay back that million dollars. And the king still forgave him. The king had to swallow his loss. He had to take a hit on his reputation. What do you think happened when other servants who owed the king money? The king had forgiven this man's debt. Woohoo! Free money. Every servant, maybe, who came in said, Oh, he's a soft touch. He's gullible. If I can just cry, I'll get out of it. So his reputation may have been hurt. He opened himself up to criticism and ridicule. He showed weakness in human terms, but humility in God terms. He paid a price. Forgiveness means paying a price. Forgiveness means taking a hit. Otherwise, it wouldn't be forgiveness. It would be earned. Oh, okay, I'll forgive you, but you have to do this, 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 this. Well, then that's not forgiveness. That's them earning their way back into our graces or whatever. But forgiveness means that we do, that it does cost us something. Sometimes we say they can never make up for what they've done exactly. That's the message of forgiveness. When we forgive, we pay a price, and God paid the ultimate price. The third point, and this gets into the scary part of the parable for me, is that God means it. What? I've seen those signs. Have you seen those billboards that said it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions? I like that. I think that's pretty good. Or, you know, parents, you know, when, 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 you, when you, you finally get down to it, I mean it. Like you did in the other 15 times before it, but I mean it this time. And sometimes we kind of think that maybe eh, God doesn't really mean what he says. Sometimes with Jesus, I, I, I look at some of the things Jesus says, I, well, did he, did, he, did he really mean that? Is that really what he meant? Notice the response and the reaction of the king once he was told of the servant's unwillingness to forgive another. Anger. Anger. He was livid. He was angry with the servant because he wouldn't forgive his brother who owed him just a little bit. Notice what it says. He turned him over to the jailers. Did you catch the next phrase? To be tortured. Whoa. Whoa. That's worse than what was originally going to be happening, right? Originally, it wasn't good, but originally, you know, he and his wife and his kids, they were all going to be sold and everything he had was going to be sold to try and pay down the debt a little bit. Now, that's bad. You know, going to jail is bad. Having your kids sold is bad. Yeah, it is. Uh, You know, all those things. But being tortured, that's something altogether different. That's something altogether harsher. That's how angry 
the master was. Isn't Jesus trying to make a point? Now, here's the problem. It's, a the, it's, it's partly a theological problem, and it's partly a practical problem. Because if we're making the comparisons with this parable to us and God and not forgiving others and things like that. And I've asked this to the teenagers before when I've taught this in class. Would God unforgive our sins? Hmm. No, 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 no. God wouldn't do that because when he forgives our sins, he wipes them away, you know, as far as the east is from the west, you know. No, 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 no. God would never unforgive our sins. Really? Did you hear what the parable said? The debt was completely canceled. The debt had been completely forgiven. But then because of the servant's unwillingness to forgive His fellow servant. Because you were unwilling. You're going to be thrown back in. Until you paid all of it. Which was going to be never. Now it's interesting. I had a little experience. You know. You're going to be shocked by this. But not every thought I have is original. Uh, I read a little bit. You know. I have commentaries in my office on my shelves. And and now you got the whole internet thing. You know. I can type in parable of unmerciful servant. Here comes a whole bunch of stuff. So I'll read. And so I did. I kind of was working a little backwards on this one. Because I knew the parable of the unmerciful servant. Everybody knows the parable. I've read it a million times. I didn't need to really read the parable. I'll just go and see what these other people had to say about it. And I was reading this one guy. Who is doing his best to try to explain away the idea that God wouldn't forgive us of what he had forgiven us because we wouldn't forgive somebody else. And he tried to make it, well, it really has nothing to do with God's forgiveness or salvation. It really has to do with our relationships with each other. Is what the parable has to do with. It really doesn't have to do with God. I wasn't buying it, but you know, okay, so I went. And then I reread the parable. And that last verse, verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. You see, it is about our relationship with God. It is about God's forgiveness of us. Jesus is plainly telling us that God forgiving us is very much dependent upon our forgiving others. You say, well, you're taking that out of context. You're taking that one little thing in the parable and you're taking it out of context and that's really not what it means, okay? Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Are there a lot of things in what we call the Lord's Prayer that you kind of wish maybe Jesus had expounded upon? Thy kingdom come. Wow, what do you you mean by that? Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, could could you talk a little more about leading us into, could you talk a little more about the evil one? Could you talk a little more about the kingdom and thy will and all those kinds of things? And Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm not gonna go back and explain any of it except this one thing. If you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. Out of that whole prayer, that was the one point that Jesus thought was so important that he needed to go back and reiterate it. See, the point is, if we can't forgive others, then we can't truly accept God's forgiveness. If we're not capable of forgiving each other of the little things. Now, I know in our own lives, I know in our own lives, it may seem like something big. I'm sure to this servant, the couple bucks that the other servant owed him was a big thing. But in the grand scheme of things, and in the grand scheme of what he had been forgiven of, it was nothing. If we can't learn to forgive each other, Of the little things here. How on earth can we really appreciate. What God has done for us. And the forgiveness that he has given us. So when Jesus talks about. And talks about these things. He means it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 33. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3 and verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He's not kidding. He means it. Forgiving each other is not extra credit. It's not bonus. It is absolutely necessary. And you may say, but you don't know. You don't know what this person has done or what that person has done or whatever. And you may be right. But I know what Jesus said. It may not be easy. It may not be natural. It may not be reasonable. But that's why it's called forgiveness. It wasn't easy for God to forgive us. It cost him a lot. 
and yet he forgave us. If you're here this evening, there's some way that we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.